And here's a headline from the Times Colonist in Victoria that caught my eye the other day. What will it cost to keep wild salmon in B.C.'s Fraser River? Researchers find as little as 20 million bucks a year could help give a number of Fraser River salmon populations a decent chance of a healthy future. The window for action, however, is closing, and it references a study from a group of researchers at UBC and UVic. So we Googled the study, and here it is. Identifying a pathway towards recovery... For or depleted wild Pacific salmon populations in a large watershed under multiple stressors. Now, there's a mouthful at breakfast time, isn't it? The lead researcher of this team joins us now from Victoria. She is Leah Shalafour uh, from the North Coast Skeena First Nations Stewardship Society, among many other groups supporting this project. Leah, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to keep you with us. We spend a lot of time talking about the salmon on this program and the preservation of one of British Columbia's most important economic uh, pillars. So the Fraser River salmon, first of all, is it true, Leah, that the Fraser River is one of the world's biggest salmon rivers? It is, yeah. And um, this is something that came up a few times in my PhD where I would have uh, reviewers kind of asking, are you sure about that? And <laughs> it's hard sometimes to find a, a reference that says it's the very largest, but certainly it is for Canada's Pacific coast, uh, and particularly for a single river producing five different species in abundance. Indeed. So now, of course, a lot of the salmon conversation that we've been having on this show, Leah, deals with the salmon smolts, the young salmon, as they leave the river system to go out to their life cycle in the open ocean, and then the concerns about getting them back. So what did you focus on in this, well, shall we say, long-worded study? (laughs) So this study looked at uh, status as our main metric, which is looking at that entire picture in one package. Um, so we're looking at the the productivity and the stability of the population, which is usually counted by the number of, of returning spawners, mm-hmm. but it, it really is that whole big picture wrapped up in one. And how did you come to the figure of $20 million a year? Well, it seems rather an arbitrary number, but clearly you've been on this project for quite some time. How did you boil it down to $20 million? Yeah, so it's actually just a, a sum across numerous different specific actions that were added up together. So we looked at a whole host of different strategies, and this $20 million sort of winning package is a combination of five different habitat-focused strategies. So it includes barrier removals, um, it includes uh, restoration projects in freshwater, as well as in the estuary, it includes habitat protection, uh, and even changes to some policy for managing watersheds. So what we did is we broke down every single action that it would take. So for example, we looked at, you know, okay, over 25 years for barriers, we could remove 576 culverts or upgrade them. We could upgrade 48 flood infrastructure projects. Mm -hmm. Um, We could punch holes in in six uh, large sloughs that are blocked. And so then we actually worked to identify what would each of those items cost and then sums them over the over the entire period. Interesting. Now, uh, Leah, the, the numbers suggest, of course, some kind of centralized, focused planning with some administrative capability to get it done. Do you sense any possibility for such a body to be formed to actually get things done? 
I do. I'm hopeful. So we did, you know, incorporate things like uh, increased staff capacity from various agencies in these costs as well. And we're already seeing some uptake from some of the the project partners. So, for example, um, the Lower Fraser Fisheries Alliance recently developed a restoration planning tool with support from the Pacific Salmon Foundation. And so they're identifying, you know, all available restoration opportunities that the different nations who are partnering on this Mm -hmm. have identified to try to more strategically plan where to take action. So these types of components are already starting to happen. And I think the more that we are aware of the need and and aware of the direction we need to go, the the quicker we can get there. Now, it says in the piece that uh, brought you to our attention in the first place that you and your team have consulted with over 100 uh, First Nations and government and other representatives in the course of putting this study together. How long did it take you to to finally produce it, Leah? (laughs) The, The final production was probably the longest piece. So... A lot of the the data that we collected happened over three really intense days way back in 2019, okay. um, where we br- we brought these people together um, to elicit basically these really specific pieces of information that are hard to find in published papers, um, where you're looking at you know what would happen if you implemented this this one restoration action in this area of the Fraser and how would that affect, you know, these specific salmon populations. So hard data to acquire. Um, But then we had to sort of analyze that, send it back to the team, give people chances for feedback and for changing. And then a lot of it comes down to uh, writing it up and doing the analysis, which is on me. (laughs) Yeah. The feds have promised, this goes back a year or two now, the the feds have promised close to 650 million bucks as some kind of bankroll for a Pacific salmon strategy. Has that number factored into your costing at all? It hasn't. So we just looked at how much it would cost to do, you know, the best options that like to to carry out the best options that we can take for these populations. Um, and we know that currently uh, funding isn't quite high enough to get there. Um, you know, for example, from the, the existing commitment for BC Shrift, um, which is looking at the entire province, you know, so all salmon populations plus some non-salmonid fishes as well. Um, but we do hear that, you know, both the federal and provincial governments are are committed to trying to invest more in salmon recovery. So we're, we're hopeful we're heading in the right direction, but... Realistically, it's probably going to take all of us, not just not just government funds, but, you know, all of the different organizations and, and public support to get us there. And at the government level, level, rather, Leah, who takes the lead, the feds or the province? So traditionally with salmon management, it's been the federal government yeah. who's taken the lead. It's, it's more typically under uh, the mandate of Fisheries and Oceans Canada. But we are seeing new moves uh, within the province as well. I think there's a recognition that, you know, many of the stressors to salmon do actually occur within the provincial mandate. So looking at freshwater habitat, terrestrial habitat. Um, so I think there's a move towards better collaboration between those governments. You're absolutely right. And it's to pull off something of this magnitude, Leah, it really is an all hands on deck required effort, isn't it? Absolutely. Leah, thanks for the study. Uh, it's taken a while. You've described some of the some of the the problems and the pitfalls of putting one together. But you've did an you've done an excellent job. You and your team are to be congratulated for your work, and we hope that uh, it's read widely and some action is indeed taken. It's certainly overdue. Thanks for this this morning. Thank you so much.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.